0: You may be seated. As always, I encourage you to have version uh, where you have the sermon notes there. You'll have all the scriptures uh, already pasted into the notes. And uh, the verses that I'm going to read for you this morning are really important verses uh, to uh, your walk as a follower of Christ. So just a little heads up to be sure you get that and you can review those later. I have the opportunity uh, every week to meet with a local physician here in the community. He doesn't go to this church but uh, have an opportunity to disciple him, speak into his life in a, in a very informal, and I'm not sure if he knows we're doing discipleship, but I know we're doing discipleship. I'll put it that way. And uh, we have a wonderful conversation uh, every week. Yeah, this week he said, Pastor, what are you speaking on Sunday? I said, well, I'm uh, in the middle of this uh, series on angels, and I'll be talking about angels on Sunday. And, and uh, he was very quick to jump right into that conversation and begin to describe to me a very specific. Uh, incident. He had very vivid uh, memories of this experience that he had lived through. And immediately, just without hesitation, he said, Pastor, I was driving down the road one day following a semi-tractor trailer. And he said, this persuasive thought came into my mind just out of nowhere. Switch lanes now. I was like, what? And he said, just this thought popped into my mind. Switch lanes now. He said, I immediately pulled into the next lane. He said, as soon as I switched lanes, the spot where I had just been was covered in a cloud of shrapnel. The semi tires blew out, steel belts were flying everywhere. And he said, I, I just was, you know, your heart starts pounding. He got misty eyed as he was telling me this. And he said, I, I I am certain. This is a man of science. He said, I am certain that an angel told me to move in order to save my life that afternoon. I said, well, if you're convinced, I'm convinced. I, you know, I mean, you lived it. But it was vivid in his mind. It was real. It was not. It just happened, you know, it happened and it was fact. And he said, I'm convinced of that. Now, just as I share a simple story like that with you, I think probably uh, many people in this room If we were to pass the mic, could say, let me tell you about an incident that happened that I've never been able to explain. Let me tell you about this feeling I had or this voice that I heard or this prompting that I felt. Uh, And you could then follow that with some story of deliverance, some story of rescue or safety or something that happened in your life that you knew the spirit world had interacted with, with your world. So today, what I want to explore for a few minutes is the really the influence and the leading of angels in our lives that can often bring deliverance to us or that can cause us to think in certain ways, and I've really struggled with what the thrust of this. You don't see my titles all the time. I don't put them up, but in my upper right-hand corner right now, it says the battle for your mind. So I'll just let that hang out there for a minute because... That's kind of the gist of what what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, Let's just explore for a few minutes how the spirit world may be influencing our minds. And let me begin with just a statement. From what I understand, as best as I can understand the scriptures, I understand that angels can originate thoughts. Let's just start right there. Angels can originate thoughts. Now, we already know that in our own lives, uh, every action that we take begins with a thought. In other words, your mind thinks something, then you tell your body to do it, and it does it, or say something, and you say it, or go somewhere. And you get Anyways, it all starts with a thought, and then it comes out. It's expressed through, then, our, our actions. Well, if you want to pull that thread a little bit and explore it, let me ask it a different way. Does every good or evil thought originate in my human mind? Do all the thoughts that run through my mind have their origins from within my mind? Now, I know there are passages that, you know, out of the, out of the uh, man's heart, uh, evil can come, and I get all of that. But just stay with my question for a minute. Does every thought, whether it's good or evil, do all of the thoughts that run through your mind have their origins from within your human mind? mine Uh, and that may be a struggle a little bit it may depict it another way that's a little more pop culture that'll make maybe it'll resonate with you what about the images we grew up with which depict something along this line now is this note everybody in the room should understand what's in front of you right now Uh, I've watched enough Tom and Jerry as a little kid somebody with me now or Bugs Bunny or whatever where something like this was illustrative in the cartoon, or illustri- just leave this up for a minute and let us marinate on this, uh, uh, our friends up in the media booth. Let us marinate for a minute right here. You got a fallen angel on one shoulder, or the devil, and you got a holy angel on another shoulder, and the implication here well, you understand my title now The Battle for Your Mind. The implication here is that you've got multiple voices speaking into your life. You've got faults running through your head because things are whispered into your ear. and, And you're being pulled between two opposing forces. Now, I've already proven, I hope, in four weeks that there are opposing forces in the universe. I hope we got that settled. Now, the question's a little more personalized right now. They're not just out in the universe there's this struggle for, for our own faults and our own actions that will come from those thoughts. I mean, we often would ask questions as we look back at human history. What, what motivates a, 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 a Saddam Hussein? What, what motivates a Bashar al-Assad to gas his own people? What, what motivates a Hitler to try to wipe out a race of people? What motivates people to do evil? Is that something they dreamed up themselves or was there some inspiration going on there that's much deeper, something more satanic, something more evil going on than just what a... We would ask questions like, who thinks like this? Who comes up with this kind of evil? Well, I'm, I'm not sure they came up with it all on their own is what I'm saying. I think it may go, may go much, much further than that. What, what motivates a Herod? To say to his executioners, go down to Bethlehem and butcher every baby two years old and under. I mean, what motivates a person to, uh, who who could think of that is what I'm saying. Who who could be uh, so wicked? Did that originate with Herod or did that thought, was that whispered into his ear by the Satan or some spirit of Antichrist that said the Messiah has come and we must end this now before it gets out of control. You see what I'm saying? Well, what motivates somebody to crucify a man who only did good? Somebody who was scared of what the implications might be. Someone who was afraid of losing control of people or their own power or their own position or maybe even it's deeper than that. Maybe an unseen force in the universe that's satanic and fallen is saying, we know, remember what the demon said, we know who you are. You are the Son of God. Remember what Jesus said? Zip that up for a minute, okay? Don't speak of that right now. Well, let's think about that for a minute. And think about this picture for a minute. And think about this battle for your mind while I read the words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, so we have weapons that are able to destroy strongholds, fortresses, entrenched powers. Let me read further. We destroy arguments. Oh, now suddenly this took a real turn. We're not talking about storm in the castle now. We're talking about something that's happening right here. Listen to these words. We destroy arguments and every lofty, what's the next word? Opinions raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. Now, Paul's saying there is a battle going on, and it's going on for your thoughts, for your opinions, for the arguments that run through your mind. Arguments, opinions, and thoughts. Clearly, the Scripture is describing things running through your mind. And here's why. Because thoughts can be a way to control your life. You control somebody's thoughts, you can you control their life. So evil running through your mind, evil thoughts running through your mind, which have been planted there by evil powers. I'm not sure what words to use here. Demonic powers, fallen angel power, But evil powers planting subversive thoughts in your mind. And I'm going to say yes even in the minds of Christians, and I'll prove that in a moment. When those thoughts come through your minds, those thoughts must be rejected, brought into captivity, body checked against the glass, pulled down and stomped on. I don't know what metaphor to use to you, but what Paul is saying, we destroy them, are those arguments. We, we pull down those lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive. We don't let our thoughts take us captive. We take every subversive thought captive. Because not all of those thoughts that run through our minds, even we who are God's children, are good thoughts. Now, you don't have to answer out loud because I already know, okay? We're all together this morning. And I'll just confess for all of us, not every thought that runs through your mind is a good thought. Now, let me see if I can build this very quickly. From the very beginning, Satan used subtlety subtlety of sowing faults, subtlety of sowing doubts to cause the human race to question in our minds whether we can really trust God or not. Go back and read the Genesis account of the temptation freshly this week. He comes up to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say? Let me sow a little doubt into your mind. Does God really feel this way? Or is there something to be gained out here in the universe that God's holding you back. Is God really good? Well, if he's really good, then why is he holding you back? You could be like God, knowing good and evil. You could be greater than you are, and God's really just stymieing you and holding. He starts sowing all of this doubt and all of these thoughts in their minds that apparently they had never had before. And now all of these things, yeah, what about that? Well, yeah, what about that? Well, is that really true? Now, he didn't tell them the whole story. He only told them part of it. Yeah, you can know good and evil, and yeah, you could gain knowledge, but all knowledge is not beneficial. And when you do it, you're going to sin against God and rebel against God and lose your position, lose your authority. Now, that's a whole other story. He didn't tell him the whole story, but he begins to plant the seeds of doubt. Did God really say? Now, what I want you to remember this morning is you have nothing to fear. Satan's not going to take over your mind. I'm not even suggesting that. Matter of fact, I'm saying quite the opposite I'm saying this morning that every child of God needs to remember that you have the power of choice. You have the power of a free will, which you alone have the volition to execute. And while the fallen angels cannot impose their will on you, they can't force you to be something, they can attack your mind with suggestive thoughts. We learn from reading John's Gospel. That Satan put the very idea of the betrayal into the mind of Judas. Let me read. John 13, 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus. Several passages indicate to us that Satan has already... Taken the thoughts of Judas and, and so betray him. Get out while you can. This is not going to end well. You've backed the wrong guy. Listen, you're going to lose all of your three years of investment. You better get some money out of this, you know, otherwise you've wasted everything. Go ahead and, and sell him out. All of that was being sown into the heart of Judas by Satan. Two members of the early church, you read about them in the book of Acts, Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They had an idea to lie to the church about their giving. Now, before I explain this passage, I don't think that God kills everybody who doesn't give. I should just let that go, shouldn't I? I'm just thinking about what I should say next. I should let that go, probably. Uh, and God, the Bible's not teaching that... What, what the Bible's teaching is that Ananias and Sapphira, it wasn't whether they gave or didn't give, it's that they lied to the church about that, the fact they were giving. In other words... The people in the church in the, in the book of Acts... Let me say it this way. First century Christians were all in. Let's use this language. First century Christians were all in. I mean, when people in their congregation had needs, they met them. When, 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 when it came to funding ministry, they were all in. And the Bible tells you in the book of Acts, people were selling cars, cars selling land. <laughs> it was a paraphrase. They were selling possessions. They were selling possessions and land... And big screen TVs and stuff they didn't need. And they were taking that money and putting it into the ministry so that the missionary journeys could happen and evangelism could happen and the church could move forward and widows could be taken care of and orphans could be fed and the same type of stuff we're talking about here every week. Well, Ananias and Sapphira said, gosh, all these church members have all these stories to tell and we don't have a story to tell. So they sold a piece of land for $100,000 then they went and told the church, we're going to give the price of the land we sold to the church, and they gave $10,000. The point was they lied about their giving. And it was a conspired, intentional lie to deceive the church and, and, and to make themselves something they weren't. So let me just read the story now. Acts 5.3. Their minds were influenced by a satanic power. Watch this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, as far as we know, these are saved people. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part for yourself of the proceeds of the land? Now, when you see this picture, you understand why. Here's a couple, and somebody's whispering in one ear, and somebody's whispering in the other ear, and they're like, okay, let's give it. Oh, wow, man, we could really use some things around the house ourselves. And they begin to then... then weave this plot of deceit about how they would lie about their giving how they would pretend to be something that they weren't and that's where things turned ugly for them and if you just read the rest of the story they both died right there on the spot they both died i mean god struck them dead now i don't think in the new testament context god strikes everybody dead who doesn't give that's why i want to be careful what i say although i do want you to feel some conviction about that and about how you portray yourself as a good christian The first century Christians are all in for the kingdom of God. And I'll just leave it right there. Peter, like us, had experienced both good and evil influences in his own personal life. I'm going to take you to Matthew 16 for just a moment. Those of you who have already been to Israel, you'll remember when I took you down to Caesarea Philippi where the waterfalls are all flowing down and the river is raging down in the woods and we were under the canopy there and we stopped and talked about how Jesus brought the disciples onto vacation and here they were. This is where it happened, Matthew 16. When Peter told the Lord, you are not going to die. Imagine this. Jesus has the disciples. Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, they're going to capture me, and they're going to crucify me. And Peter's like, you are not going to die. Matthew 16. That fault did not originate with Peter. Let me read the scripture. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, now these are words none of us would like to hear from Jesus, right? (laughs) Get thee behind me. He's talking to Peter. Just imagine he's talking to you. And Jesus says to you, get by me, Satan. You're just like, what, 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 Satan? I'm, I'm, I'm Rick. I'm Bobby. I, I'm not Satan. Yeah, you know. But he's looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, what you're, what you're babbling about right now, that fault did not originate with you. You're not going to die. Matter of fact, it's part of the temptation of Satan to Jesus. Bow down and all the kingdoms will be yours. We can skip Calvary. Do you remember that part of the temptation? And so now Peter suddenly says, no, I won't let you die. You're not going to die. Dying is not part of the plan. And Jesus says, Peter, that fault didn't originate with you. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Just a few minutes earlier, Peter's thoughts and Peter's language. Peter had reached the highest confession, one of the most spiritual proclamations that Simon Peter ever made. And and that proclamation was a result of one of the most holy thoughts that God had ever put into the heart of Simon Peter. all happened in the space of a few minutes. Let me back up and read what just happened prior to this. Simon Peter said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you. Simon, bar means son of, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this to you. That thought didn't originate with you. God has inspired you to come to an understanding of who I am. Now, when you look at Matthew chapter 16, you have to, you have to develop your own takeaway from this. What is my takeaway from reading? Peter just says you're the Christ, the Son, living God. And he says, wow, the Father is speaking through you. That's a holy thought. Five minutes later, shut up, Satan, and get behind me. Same guy. What's happening? Well, thoughts are coming into Peter's mind, and he's just letting his mouth engage without really processing a lot. The mouth's in drive without really discerning every thought, that's, every thought that pops in Peter's mind shooting out his mouth. How about that? That's a fair statement. And he's not bringing them into subjection and saying, is this right or is this wrong? Should I say this or not? Okay. You know, there's no filter of discernment happening with Simon Peter. And there are clearly two opposing forces at war for control of the universe. We've talked about that for weeks now. And they're waging battle not just for control of the universe, but they're waging a battle for the control of your thoughts. The great spiritual battlefield is not like out here, you know, at, at, at Bunker Hill or, or Gettysburg. The battle for the, for the universe is happening, much of it right here. A control for your thoughts. You understand now why you need guardian angels. You understand why you need forces caring for you and countermanding the evil forces in the universe. And, and that battle is going on for your mind. Let me remind you that the material world and the spiritual world intersect. It's not one or the other. They intersect and they interact continually. As you go back to the Garden of Eden, it's a very easy example in Genesis chapter number 3. Eden, where Adam and Eve and God walked with them in fellowship and, and, and they had fellowship in the evening and walked together. Listen, Eden is clearly a place where heaven and earth touch. Clearly a place where heaven and earth touch. When Jesus says, I'm going to restore my kingdom, you who are saved are already in my kingdom. Listen, heaven and earth are touching right here with you this morning. When the church meets together, clearly Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Paul has declared, you are in Christ, Christ is in you, you're already in the... Clearly, heaven and earth have touched in your believing heart this morning. Clearly, when we come together, heaven and earth have touched. Now, we understand there is a real global kingdom of Jesus Christ coming. The Bible says when that happens, the child will play with a cobra. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The desert will blossom like a rose. You say, what in the world's happening? We're reverting to Eden. The world is being restored. The curse is being lifted. I'm going to talk about this in a coming series. But right now, you are in the kingdom of God. You, your mind, your heart, your thoughts, and there's a constant battle for your mind. Now, let's move quickly to the next. Angels can displace thoughts. Not only can fallen angels drop suggestions into your mind, it appears that they could also snatch thoughts out of your mind. This is very interesting. We're going to look now this morning at the parable of the sower. Now, it's one of the few parables where Jesus assigns a definition to the different elements of the parable. Usually the parables have one big takeaway, and you're not to spiritualize all the elements. I've taught through the parables before, and I'll do that again at some point in the future. But the parable of the sower is, is quite unique in that Jesus says, the seed is this, the ground is this, the birds are this. The, the, and, you know, so he, he defines every little piece of the parable. And what Jesus says is there's good soil and shallow soil and there is weedy soil in the parable. Jesus interpreted the seed as the word of God that someone can hear. The soil is the heart condition of the hearer. So let me interpret this for you. We have good hearts and shallow hearts and weedy hearts. We have hearts that are full of fertile soil that seed can get down into. We have shallow lives that... There's not much nutrients, not much soil, and you can't get a strong, vibrant, healthy plant going. And we have weedy hearts that we're just so preoccupied with all the cares of this world, and and, and we have so much fear of missing out on what everyone's doing, and we're just so involved in everything that spiritual things get no attention in our life, and, and they're just, they choke out. The world chokes out our spiritual life. He said there are birds. The seed is being sown and the birds are snatching the seed. He said the birds are the angels, fallen angels, or the evil one. Now let me read part of the parable, Matthew 13, 4. And as he sowed the seed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse number 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Now that makes me pause and think for a minute. The Word of God is sown. The message of the kingdom goes out. And When it's not comprehended or when it's rejected or when there's no action on that teaching, the evil one can come and just snatch the thoughts, Right? right out of your mind. So here's my deduction if I understand it correctly. The words of our biblical proclamation, the words of a biblical message or a, a teaching or reading could be snatched away by evil fallen angels. Now I just want to say it as a learning moment, make some application for us this morning. I would say this is why you want to listen actively. This is why you don't want to be a casual Hearer, this is why you don't want to approach even a a service like this where you say, Gosh, it's Sunday, let's go punch in and punch out. Make sure we've ticked that off our list so we can get our week going. Approach it with a bit of a different attitude. Uh, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And approach any time together, whether it's D group or church or whatever, or your own devotion time, with a few moments of really active listening and, and concentrative focus. Uh, and that's why I would encourage a lot of you to take notes. Some of you are typing notes electronically into U version, or or at least affirm your assent with some type of response. You don't have to verbalize it always, but at least uh, You know, internalize it if you would. But if you want to verbalize it, I think you could. I think I think we've done ourselves a disservice because we got so stoic in our worship services. And so serious and so still and so quiet. I mean, the old guys used to approach the, you know, let everyone be silent for the Lord is in his holy tabernacle. Cross your hands, put them in your lap and sit up straight. is what that means. And don't utter a peep. No response because God's about to speak. Okay. I I think that there's, I, I appreciate the reverence of that. But I think you need to be involved. And I think you need to be involved in worship. Whether that's with a clap or whether that's with a shout. Listen, if you listen, go old school and give me every once in a while a British. Here, here, old chap. Uh, something, uh, a, a, a grunt, uh, elbow your spouse. Uh, some, I do see some sharp elbows from time to time. By the way, well, I can see a little, just that right there happens every once in a while across the room. What I'm saying though is all of that is indicative that I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really hearing. I, I'm engaged in taking what I'm hearing. And uh, trying to let the message get inside. Now, here's what I want to say. The message can only create life change in you through application. As you're hearing, your job is to be deciding about what action you need to take to be a doer of the Word. So when something's going out from the Word of God, your response is, okay, what do I need to do about that? Is it, is it, am I learning something? Is there an actionable item to this? Do I need to, is there, is there a, a, something I need to pray about in just a moment? What, what do I need to do to be a doer uh, of what I'm hearing? This, Jesus discussed this same type of thing, uh, uh, displacement of faults, really what I'm talking about. But uh, possibly he's talking about this again in the parable of the two builders. Matthew chapter 7, you guys know this story. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Trials came to both. Life happened. Things happened. Circumstances happened. One house stood, the other fell. Why? The answer is not found in the right foundation. That's really not the teaching of the parable, if you look closely. The answer is also not found in the builder Uh, The answer is also not found in the building material. Because it's not really a lesson on building a house. It's a lesson on building a life by taking action on Jesus' teachings. It's really a lesson about taking action in response to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Let me read the punchline, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them there's the application does something about it i'm gonna liken that person to a wise man that's the wise man or woman the person who's not a passive here but they're hearing and they're saying okay now i must and here must be my response to the word of god one man put in action what he heard From the teachings of Jesus, whether that's a church service or whether that's a D group or whether that, I don't know where he heard the word, but when he heard it, he said, I'll put that into action. And that's what made the difference in his life. Remember that attending church is no guarantee of spiritual maturity. Maturation happens as you apply the truth in your own personal life. And it is the application of that truth, it is that living out the acting out of that truth that creates the life change in you that partners with the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms you to be a changed person over time into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me say it another way. A spiritually undisciplined mind is a spiritually immature mind. And such a spiritually undisciplined mind or immature mind is vulnerable to the attack of the enemy use a different metaphor. Paul said put armor on to deflect this onslaught from these evil powers. Shields of faith, helmets of salvation. Listen, to, to not understand your armor, to not utilize your armor, is to be vulnerable to an attack from the enemy. A passive and lazy mind makes it quite easy for fallen angels to plant thoughts and snatch thoughts Uh, when when help is offered up to your life, if you take no action on that help, they can just snatch that right out. Just snatch it out, snatch it out, snatch it out, and your life is never changed. Now, I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. Because many of you make disciples. You're investing in people's lives, and you're offering up life change, and you're, you're showing them how to have a better life and to be like Christ. If they don't take action on that, they will remain unchanged. Please hear what I'm saying. You can go through all the discipleship material. You can go through the whole discipleship process. But if you never action what's being offered to you, it's just snatched away and you remain unchanged. Does that make sense? You have to do your part or there is no life change involved. Now, let me come at it a different way. Uh, Through the years of counseling, I've met many Christians who lived with a sense of guilt because of the evil thoughts that passed through their minds. And I may be speaking to many this morning. And you're constantly struggling with your own guilt because stuff pops into your mind and you're like, I must be the most horrible person ever. And surely none of these other blood-washed children of God ever have any strange thoughts pop into their minds. So what's wrong with me? Am I some type of broken Christian? Or am I even a Christian that such bad things can pop into my mind. Do you understand the guilt and the tension I'm talking about now? I hope you do, because I think most people experience this at some point in their Christian journey. This guilt is a misunderstanding of where these evil thoughts and where these random thoughts have originated from. Let's consider for a moment, because of what I'm telling you, that much of these unclean thoughts or evil thoughts or bizarre thoughts have originated from outside of your mind. What I'm saying is a thought can go through your mind that maybe you didn't originate it. Do I need to put the picture back up of the angel and the devil? You understand what I'm saying? Maybe a thought can pop into your mind that didn't originate with you. Now, the point is, Paul is telling us what to do, how to deal with this. What are we to do he said you're to bring those untrue and evil faults into submission. We are told to dismiss them as untrue. Listen, when a, when a, a fault pops into your head that goes against what the teachings of Jesus are, you are to say to you that fault, now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I, I wouldn't suggest being in a board meeting with your peers, and start rebuking your own brain, okay? But find a place and a time and a way or internalize that. When faults pop into your mind that go against the teachings of Jesus, you have to figure out how to check them. Bring them into submission. How about this? You just say to your own mind, now that fault that just went through your mind, Bobby Harold, is not true. That is not a true thought. It speaks against, it's the opposite of what Jesus teaches. It therefore is not true. And I reject it. I consciously, volitionally, with my own will, I reject that thought. So wherever that came from, up yours. Now some of y'all talk way too nice to the devil. And that's all I'm saying to you. Just take those thoughts and take the junk you're trying to put in my mind right now. And get behind me. Can somebody gird up their loins this morning understand what I'm saying? Now, I don't know that you should articulate that out loud in front of your peers that are not saved. Or maybe even your peers that are saved. They may, th- Or even your spouse may think you're crazy. But Paul is teaching you to bring into captivity thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know exactly how to describe that for you, but you're going to have to figure out a way to say to those thoughts... That passed through your mind. I reject that right now. No, I, I, know, I know what just ran through my mind and I reject that as untrue and I refuse to harbor on it. Let's move on. Does that make sense? Okay, I'll let you figure out how, how to deal with that from there. What we are told to do is to bring it into submission, dismiss it, dismiss it as untrue, and then to focus and meditate on true thoughts as a replacement for untrue thoughts. Now, here's the biggie. You cannot let your mind be a vacuum. You cannot consistently put your mind into neutral and disengage all filters and be passive. Now, I'm just going to pause. This is not in my notes, but it popped up this week, and I don't know where I heard it. Some of the, uh, my wife maybe told, asked me about it or something, but somebody was asking about yoga this week. Now, let me just talk about yoga for a minute. I'm a fan I'm a huge fan. And I think if you did it, you might be a better person. You'd have be a more flexible person. And flexibility is good, amen? Anybody, when you tie your shoes in the morning, get short of breath? I mean, do I even need to keep talking? Uh, I, I, I'm all about uh, being healthy. Yes, y- yoga was developed in India as a uh, connection to Hinduism. And I know lots of Baptists who do yoga. I know lots of Christians and non-denominationals and believers who do yoga, and they are not calling upon idols while they're doing it. Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. I had several uh, wonderful yoga instructors. I invited her here to teach a class at church once. Uh, who, as we were going through the yoga poses, would quote scripture and have us meditate upon those scriptures as we were doing the yoga poses. That's genius, actually. I can't think of anything more healthy or holy than getting flexible and sharpening your spiritual mind, you know what I'm saying, at the same time. That's, that's a twofer right there. Uh, what I would caution you against is when we get to the part of yoga taught by a real uh, yogi, uh, taught by a real guru, if you were to ever travel to Asia and to take a yoga class, they're going to say to you, now empty your mind. Don't you dare. Or Austin, Texas, that's true. Uh, Empty your mind and clear your mind. The Bible never says to clear your mind. Sometimes the deacons will come and pray for me before I come out to preach, and I come in late because of that usually. And uh, as they're praying for me, they'll often say things like, God, pray that you help pastor clear his mind. Okay? So when they pray that for me, I know what they mean. But they said the opposite of what they meant. So when you lay your hands on me and say, God, help pastor to clear his mind. What, you always stand up here with an empty mind? I got nothing to say. There's nothing there. (laughs) What they are really praying for me, and while they pray mistakenly, and I'm not beating up on our deacons. They're wonderful people. But you understand how we do that. God, clear my mind. So Here's what I pray while they're praying that. I say, God, don't listen to them. God, help me to focus my mind on the message that you have given to me for your people. That I might articulate it just as you want me to say it to the people this morning. Help my mind to be sharp and focused on that and not paying my bills and fixing my truck and mowing my grass and cleaning. You understand what I'm saying? God, help me to focus for a few minutes on only the truth that you want me to communicate. Now, listen carefully to what I'm trying, trying to communicate. I, I don't want to get off track too much. I need to bring this to a really quick conclusion. We are told to focus our minds on the truth. We are told the power of focusing our minds on the truth, not emptying your mind, not being passive, the power of focusing your mind on truth not being passive. When you go into a passive state, you've opened yourself up to demonic possession. And you just have to travel the world with me and I can just show you the people who are... Uh, 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 and their eyes roll back and the demons just come and possess them and there it is. They put themselves into a state to receive demonic influence and he moves right in. Okay? You don't want to be that person. You want to be the person who's focused on, on the Word of God. Let me show you what this looks like quickly. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, the Word of God but you shall meditate in it day and night. Now, meditation is a good thing, not a bad thing. Transcendental meditation is a bad thing. It's emptying the mind and leaving your body, your spirit leaving your body, looking down on yourself from up here somewhere. And that's trying to disengage yourself from the body and enter the spirit world in a different way. That's bad. Focusing and meditating on the Word of God, good. Good. So it, it, meditation is good. It depends on what you're using it for. Are you focusing on the Word of God or are you putting yourself in neutral passive state so anything you're saying, let any thought in the universe come into my mind, bad and very dangerous. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What about Philippians? Let's go to the New Testament and see it. Paul said in Philippians 4, And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true... These are the things you should be thinking about, by the way. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. What you have learned and heard and received in me, do it, so forth. So what the the Bible's instructing us is to focus intentionally, think about the right things. Now here's going to be your response. Yeah, but pastor, sometimes just crazy thoughts pop into my head. Exactly. Now you know you have to take those thoughts captive and say, I reject you, you're untrue, I will not linger on that. And what I'm saying is a lot of Christians live a life of guilt because they're like, wow, I just keep sinning with these wicked thoughts. Let me, let me see if I can really walk a tightrope with you. So this impure thought popped into your head. You haven't sinned yet. Okay? Now you've got an opportunity to decide which way you want to go. You want to pull up a chair and just think about the whole ramifications of that and what might become of that and how you might get away with that and how you might execute. Now you're sinning. Unclean thought pops into your head. You say, God, I'm sorry that just ran through my mind. Don't know where it came from, whether from in me or from some outside. I reject that thought. That's not going to be a part of my life. All right, you haven't sinned. Let it go. You understand what I'm saying? You have to learn how to deal with your own warfare in the world in which we live. And and that's really what the Scripture is talking about here. If your mind is actively engaged in the Word of God, it will not be easy for the enemy's thoughts to take hold of your life. Victory over evil comes from getting your mind transformed, aligning your spirit into agreement with the Holy Spirit of God. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit helps your thoughts align with the thoughts of God. Whenever your spirit is in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you will not accept the ideas of fallen powers. Now, I'm going to have to close. i got a whole other point. But let me close right here and I'll just pick it up next week, okay? Satan's primary weapon is the lie. Can we all agree on that? I'll start here next week. If Satan's primary weapon is the lie, then your primary defense is... All right, we made some progress this morning, didn't we? You know how to fight Satan? I heard him quoted on the floor of the Senate this week. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So this week, let's focus on this. Listen, somewhere this week, I'm sorry... I'm sorry it's going to happen, but somewhere this week, some crazy thought's going to come into your mind. Some unclean thought, you know, stab your wife with scissors, you know, ram your car off the bridge, I mean, you know, commit adultery, why don't you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend on the side, I mean, just some bizarre things going to pop into your head, vote Democrat, I mean, crazy things could happen, (laughs) crazy things could happen, I'm just messing with you, just messing with you. All I'm saying this morning is Satan's weapon is a lie and untruth. Mistruth, half-truth. Christian's primary weapon is the truth. Does anybody know where you could find truth this week? Just a few minutes in the Word of God and say to the Holy Spirit, God, win the battle for my mind today. May the truth trump every lie in my life. God, if I believed any lie... Put the truth on it that I might know the truth because that's where I want to live. In the truth, in the freedom, and the liberty of walking with God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's spend a moment just in prayer. Here's what's going to happen. I, I, we're going to baptize this morning. Beautiful young couple. We're going to have a worship song right before that happens. But before that worship song happens, I want you to action the sermon very quickly. I want you to say in your heart right now, God, I've heard some things and I want that protection in my life. God, help me to make a new commitment to the Word of God today. Help me to renew my walk in the Word. God, if I've believed anything that's not true, put the truth on it. God, wherever I've believed a lie, Lord, flood my heart with the truth. Help me to find the truth to countermand that lie. God, I know that you are all about the truth and Satan is... All about the lie. God, I want to live in the truth and walk in the truth. And I want the freedom and the liberty and the joy of living in that truth. I want that on my life. How about praying like this? God, give me the power this morning to discern. When that wrong voice is speaking thoughts into my mind, Lord, in that moment, help me to reject that. Help me to realize this is a thought to be rejected. And just help me to reject it altogether. And Lord, in that moment, flood my life with the truth. I want to know the truth and I want to be free. I want to live in that freedom. While Christians are praying this morning, I I pray that you would know Christ as your Savior today. If you've never received him as your Savior at the end of this service, there will be people at the back of this room they will be able just to put an arm around you and pray with you and show you how to receive Christ as your savior today your life can be transformed you 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 don't have to serve a fallen power you can serve the living God and they'll show you how to enter into a relationship with him very simply and in just a few minutes Father, bless your people this morning as they wrestle with you and wrestle with the word of God. Lord, apply this to our lives. Lord, if we believe anything untrue, we reject that. Lord, we, we want to volitionally with our own will say we do not want to be misled or deceived in any way. But God, may the truth and may the power of your spirit confirm what is truth to our hearts and minds. Guard us. Keep us. Lord, let the helmet of salvation Cover our minds. Act as a filter against the fiery darts. Lord, bless your people because they've been in the house of God today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand. Brother Jeremy's going to lead you in a worship song. We'll baptize and I'll dismiss you in prayer.